This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles this evening, you're welcome to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Have you ever uh, had a a hard time getting a message across to someone? You know, maybe it's a child or a co-worker maybe or uh, maybe a teenager, I'm not sure, but uh, just something that a message or a lesson or a command or whatever it might be that you just can't seem to get across to someone. You tell them over and over, you break it down, you try to simplify it as best as possible, but they still don't do it. Uh, you know, I had the opportunity to work at the Wilds Christian Camp, and I, while I was there, I was a lead counselor. Here's a picture of my, my team that I led one summer, and these are a bunch of great guys and, and ladies, and we had the opportunity to compete, to invest in, uh, in so many lives that summer. But one of the, the challenges that they gave us throughout the, the summer was to encourage our campers to memorize scripture, all right? Um, we would get this passage at the beginning of, of the summer and say each week, try to get each camper, you know, we at least want them to get to say one verse. If they can memorize one verse, that would be awesome. And then, uh, but if they can say more than that, they had maybe a list of like 10 or 5 to 10 maybe good-sized passages that they had to memorize. And so this week, throughout the week, every morning, um, the campers and the counselor would get together and they would work really hard to get these verses memorized. The counselors would have all these these challenges like, hey, I'll, you know, I'll eat without my hands one day at a meal if you, if you win this, this competition. Or, uh, you, know, you know, I'll do a push-up for every single passage you say. Or just outrageous things that they would try to encourage these, these campers to memorize Scripture. And I, I really pushed this, but I said the only thing, the, really the thing that I want you to take away is, of course, you know, this is the, the, poor, the purposes that are hiding God's word in their heart. But, hey, this is a competition as well. So at the end of the week, by Thursday at 4.30, Turn in that scripture memory form that records how many verses they memorized and so that we can get the points for our team and just uh, repeat it over and over. Hey, return that in, turn that in, turn that in. And then it would seem that at the end of, at the, end of the week, maybe, I would, I would be down by the volleyball courts at, you know, 4.15, and I would see a counselor standing right there on the volleyball court playing volleyball. Hey, so-and-so, did you turn in your scripture memory passage? And his eyes might be like his, a deer in the headlights, and he would run up and say, no, I, I haven't, and he sprints up the hill maybe. And, uh, you know, then even there, a rare occasion, a counselor would not turn the passage in. I'm like, I told you a hundred times to turn this, this form in at the end of the week. A simple instruction. What, what's, going, what's going on? I even gave you an accountability partner. What's up with that? And this simple message that I would give, they wouldn't follow it. And I want to ask a question to you. How often does God give us instructions that seem so simple, yet we often have a hard time following it? And that's everyone in this room that we can think to times where we have failed God's word, where we have failed his instruction that is so clearly lined out. And this, uh, this evening, I want to look at a specific message that really God has for us, a, a, a really a commandment that God has for us. The title of my message this morning is a desire for godly living, a desire for godly living, and we're, really gonna, we're gonna look at a message that God has for us this evening, a message that is plain and simple, that he has instructed for us. 
And so we find ourselves in the book of Colossians. And I don't know about you, but I love biblical history. And um, if you remember, actually, I think a couple months ago, Brother Kevin Brown actually preached from this passage. He gave a little bit of, of kind of uh, biblical history to the church at Colossae. And if you, if you don't remember, I'm going to refresh your memory real quick. But, uh, he, uh, but the church of Colossae was found, is found in modern-day Turkey. And if you, look, if you were to look at a map at the, really the southwestern portion of modern-day Turkey, you would find three cities. You would find Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. And these three cities were very close to each other. They're actually located on a main route that connected, you know, the, the Mediterranean, or it might be the Aegean Sea on the, on the west, and the Euphrates River on the east. And so you would expect the city to be a really major city of the day. But it was, it did get pretty big for a while, but it, after a major earthquake, it kind of declined. And so I think Laodicea is the one that actually really took over and was the more dominant city. And of course, we know Laodicea from Scripture, the book of Revelation. Jesus writes a letter specifically to the church at Laodicea. So it might be even one of the more well-known cities that we find in the Bible. But we find a passage here written, or a book written to the church at Colossae. And one of the things I find most fascinating about the church at Colossae is that most commentators believe Paul didn't even go to the city. That people most likely traveled from Colossae or Hierapolis to Laodicea where Paul traveled through, and that's how Paul gave these people the gospel. And they took it back with them to the city of Colossae. But I believe this, this book is unique because of that. In Colossians 2 and verse 1, Paul writes, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them that are at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. And really this unique relationship that Paul had with his church really is evident throughout his writing. Paul was burdened for this people, as he was really every church he started. But he wanted to see them grow. He wanted to see them mature, and he wanted to see them live godly lives. The fact that Paul had not met him caused his heart to be burdened that much more for them, and really God had a specific desire for these believers. Again, God has a specific desire for us, and are we listening to that? Are we following those commandments that we find in Scripture? Are we living godly lives? And God wants us to live godly lives. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1 and verses 9 through 10, and we'll be going through verse 14 this evening, but we'll just read those first two verses to start us out this evening. The Bible says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's pray this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, thank you for the commandments, the promises, Lord, the instructions that you give us in your word. Help us to have our hearts opened up to your word this evening as we look at this passage. And Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. May you get all the glory for, that set, for everything that's said and done. And Lord, may you help us to walk closer to you this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So it's amazing to see the burden Paul has for those he ministers to. Throughout the New Testament, we can specifically see the prayers that Paul has. He often even opens up his letters with these great greetings of, of desire for these believers to grow. And so when, when, when Scripture expresses desires like this, we have to listen. 
And today as we walk through this passage and we see exactly what God says to us, we have to remember this is God's authority to us. This is his written word. And today we're going to look at that we're to be filled with knowledge of his will, that we're to walk worthy, that we're to live with power, and that we're to live with thankfulness. So let's first look at Paul's instruction for us to walk in knowledge. Look at me back at verse 9. It says, For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Again, Paul uses this word knowledge. And knowledge is something that, that people are always seeking. You know, we, we have debates about what good education is and how it should be done in our schools. Or I know that's a, hot, that's a hot topic these days. What's being taught in our schools? What type of knowledge is being given? And really, knowledge is something that we're all seeking. You know, from the time we are in pre-K or even, even learning how to walk or to talk, all the way up to kindergarten, middle school, elementary school, high school, college, graduate work, whatever it might be, on-the-job training, knowledge is something that it seems that most people are always gathering, whether it's in, on a job site, in the classroom, even with your children, we're always learning. But uh, is this the same way we should approach our knowledge of God? You know, what information are we supposed to be grasping onto? What are we supposed to know? I believe here we're supposed to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. This is a knowledge that will never be complete, and we will always be learning. This knowledge should be deep. It should be all-encompassing. We should really know the will of God. And one amazing characteristic about God is that he has plainly revealed himself to us. We're not looking at some arbitrary fact that we're going to know God's will and then try to figure it out. God has plainly, clearly revealed himself to us. We are supposed to know who God is. God's word is his instruction for our lives, and it tells us who God is and about his love toward us. It is a guide for how we're to live, to walk, and to love God. And this book contains the desires that God has for our lives. The will of God really isn't this mystery that needs to be solved. We're to follow the clear instructions that God has laid out in his book, the Bible. And really, based on this passage, this book is what we're to be filled with. This is the revelation of God, and we're to be filled with this knowledge. That idea to be filled, you know, that's a descriptive word here, and can you say that about yourself? Are you filled with the knowledge of God's will, of God's word? You know, are our hearts filled with the things that God approves of, the things that God wants us to pursue after? Or are our hearts filled with the things of this world, maybe even good things, honorable things, but things that can be a distraction from God's word. You know, if we evaluate our culture, we know it's a sinful culture, but it's also a very distracted culture. You know, entertainment, hobbies, sports, and so much more are fighting for our attention and our affection. So many things are distracting us from the thing that God wants us to be filled with. And of course, that's the word of God. So instead of being pulled away by these distractions, we must turn our focus back to God. One of my favorite passages in all scripture is Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 and verse 2. And here it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. 
Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And I love the active language there. It's the idea of, of seeking, of setting. Those are not just things that passively come into our lives, but there are things that we must actively do to make sure our hearts are focused where they should be. That we're seeking out God, that we're actively setting our heart's desires on His Word, on what God wants for us. And really, God wants us to do that. He wants us to be filled with that knowledge of His Word. And we also must note that Paul expresses that we handle God's Word in a proper way. He, Paul gives two characteristics in this passage of knowledge that we should affect, that should affect how we study and how we apply. And he gives two here. The first one there is wisdom. Wisdom, really knowing how to apply knowledge to certain situations, really the idea of discernment. Do we have a, a discerning attitude when it comes to the things we participate in, the things that we, we focus on and our hearts are focused on and that are filling our hearts and our minds? Are we discerning what the will of God is? Is it something that we passively kind of let in here and there? Or do we actively set out, what does God want for my life? What habits does he want me to be involved with? James 1 and verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. God promises to give wisdom when we ask for it. So are we seeking God? This, again, God says ask. And that's another example of someone who is seeking out God and his wisdom. And that's not just being a bystander in their relationship with God, but actively seeking God out. We, knew we need more wisdom in this world, but constantly we're being filled with the wisdom that the world gives. And we see what, what effect that's have, having on our culture today. And we see the world plummeting into really obnoxious beliefs, wisdom that is contrary to Scripture, but God has given us his word so that we can have wisdom. But also spiritual understanding. Really, we should have spiritual insight into what we're reading. And God has given us his Holy Spirit that, that works in us when we read Scripture. It guides us. It empowers us. It works in our lives. It's not enough just to know facts about God's will, about God's word. We must understand and apply those to our hearts. Anyone can take a theology class or even listen to a message and somewhat say, oh, I, I know things about God. I, mean, I might even know that he, he died on the cross for me. But unless we truly believe in those things and we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us as we listen and we read God's word, really, it can go in one ear and out the next. Again, we would be missing the whole message that God has for us in Scripture, that we have a relationship with him, not just facts that we learn. We have to be filled with this knowledge. It's not, it's not enough to have just part of our life filled. Our whole lives need to be filled with the knowledge of His will. Not distracted by this world, but fully focused on a relationship with God that is growing into full maturity. If you go a whole week without even talking to a spouse or even your earthly father, you would say something is wrong with that relationship. But yet how often do we go a day without talking to our heavenly father? How often do we go a week without spending time in good prayer and time in God's word? We would say something is wrong with that relationship. A relationship without communication is destined to fail. And again, God has clearly given us his word. 
So that when Paul says, I desire that you be filled with a knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, there's a way to do it. It's not, hey, go out and wander until you find it. No, God has clearly given us his will, so we have no excuse not to find it. God wants our hearts, and he wants it to fill it. He wants to fill it with him. So, are we able, are we filled with the knowledge of his will? This is Paul's desire for this church at Colossae, and it's God's desire for us today. But I want to note, secondly, that this is for a purpose. And God gave us this knowledge, this instruction, so that we can, secondly, walk worthy. That we can walk worthy of the Lord. Look at me at verse 10. It says, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, I love the word walk here. It's such a, we kind of may even breeze over it when we see this idea of walking worthy. And really Paul uses this, uses this as a picture. Again, we look back to biblical times. They don't have cars. A lot of things were done through foot traffic. You know, they might have some sort of animal to pull a cart. But again, they walked most places. And so this idea of walking, really, it connects with them. It connects with this audience that as you progress through life and you live a good life, or you live your, your lifestyle, what does that look like? You know, we don't do as much walking today, and if we do, it's maybe for exercise, or it's to walk a dog, or whatever it might be. We, we kind of lose that picture sometimes. But yet God wants us to walk, to live in a way that is worthy of the Lord. And I love that word worthy. You know, we're, a st- we're, we're placing worth, value to something. And our, if our lives meet that standard of how God wants us to live life. You know, this, the same terminology is used in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, when the Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Again, God has called us to a certain calling. Every Christian here is, for one, has been given the Great Commission, has called us to give the gospel, has called us to live godly lives, and that's a calling each of us has for, in our lives. And God says, walk worthy of that calling. Live up to that standard. Are we living up to the standard that God would have for us? Are we living godly lives? You know, our goal is to please God. And so the answer is, how do we do that? We go to God's word, we read it, we understand it, and then we must apply God's word to our life. Application without, you know, if we don't have application when we read God's word, it's really almost worthless. We must find truth in scripture and see how it changes our lives Again, a verse that many of us know is James 1, 23-25, when the Bible says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Again, the purpose here is that we go to God's word, we see what it says, and then we change our life to act accordingly. 
Again, if not, we're like that little kid who we tell over and over to do a simple task, but yet we disobey. We refuse. We let it go one, in one ear and out the next. We are a fool, and we choose to disobey or ignore God's word, his instruction. And if someone did this in the morning where they walked up to a mirror and looked in it and saw what needed to be changed and then just walked away, we would laugh at that person. We would say that they are irresponsible or foolish, but that's so often what we do with God's word. We hear a message. We hear the Bible preached. We read it for ourselves, and yet we walk away changing nothing. In the end, God really wants us to act like who we are. And I know we all have the flesh within us, but we are also a redeemed people. We also have a new nature, a new man that is inside us, that when God saved us, he did not intend for us to say the same. He intended us for us to grow into full maturity, to full completion. And when we do that, we are applying God's word to our life. We're growing in our relationship with him. But know that Paul also gives two characteristics of how this will, what this will result in. The first one there is fruitfulness. You know, there will always really be an outward change in our lives when we fully, completely dedicate our lives to Christ. When he saves us, when he renews our spirit, there will be change. And there will be, we will show fruit of a redeemed life. You know, God will use our service as we serve him to bring forth fruit. Whatever ministry we're in, God will bring fruit from it. And it won't always be the fruit that we want it to look like. But it'll be the fruit that God wants, that he sees in our life. So we must get in the word and apply it. And so we can see fruit in our life. And so we serve with joy knowing that God will use us. But also that we're to be increasing in knowledge. And, says, and it just amazes me that Paul doesn't forget about this, that we're to be continually increasing in a knowledge of God. It doesn't stop. No matter how old we are, we don't stop studying God's word. And it, it can be a hard thing to do to try to live a godly life. And you might even say, I've tried to live for God, but I, I failed so many times. Maybe it's the same sin, the same faults. Maybe we, we just hit a brick wall sometimes and we, we feel like we can't go any farther. We can't do it. And it's not even always easy to live for God. It's it can be hard. But I think God understands that. And he's given us a solution for that. He's given us his power. And so just as God has asked us to apply his word, he's also given us the power. So third, we, mu we must live with power. So going back to our passage this evening, Colossians 1 and verse 11 says, Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Strengthened with all might. Again, I see that we are fully strengthened to accomplish God's will. God did not just give us a bunch of commandments that, we are to, that we're not able to fulfill, but he's given us the power to be able to accomplish his will. You know, really, what does it mean to be able to have the power of God in our lives? What does that mean? And it really means that God has enabled us. He has given us the ability to obey his commandments. I love some of the passages that we see in scripture. Now I'm just going to read a couple off real quick. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem 
in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Again, our missions theme from this past year. Again, yes, God has commanded us to go and be a witness, but he's also given us his power to be able to do so. Isaiah 40, 29-31 says, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Again, this has a physical application as well, that when we are tired and we are feel like we're struggling throughout our day god will increase our strength in a physical way again no matter how young we are or how old we will all we all can receive god's strength and we all will need god's strength at some point another one is ephesians 1 19 through 21 which says and, when, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him as, at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Again, God is, is supreme. He is Lord over all things. But when he came to die for us and shed his blood for our sins and redeem us, he is now inside us. And his resurrection, his power, now dwells within us to accomplish his will. As the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us to accomplish God's will, God promises his power. And so the next time you face a trial or you face something that seems too hard to overcome, God has his power there. And I love how, finally, how Paul lists it in Philippians 4, when he says, not that I speak, I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Again, Paul says that if I'm hungry, if I'm full, if I'm poor, if I'm rich, I can be content in every situation. That I can be strengthened to accomplish whatever circumstance or situation God has placed me in. And really, that goes for the hard times and that goes for the times when we are doing well spiritually or when we are, we are asked to accomplish great things for God. God will give us the power to do that. You know, God has given us his divine ability. And it often feels like God gives us really extraordinary circumstances in our life. Hard things to face. But really, God may use you in an extraordinary way to show forth his power through that situation. And this is not about avoiding hardship. It's about using, God using hardship to accomplish his will in your life. And that's something God promises to do. When trials are, we try, face trials, God will use that to grow us, to grow us closer to him. And we must allow God to work in our lives that way. We also must know that God's power results in certain things. He, God's power results in patience and long-suffering. You know, we develop endurance through this Christian life. When different trials come our way and different hard times come, we develop endurance. 
if you haven't noticed, really life can be hard, and, and God doesn't promise an easy life, but again, he has promised to provide for our life. You know, his, his power is so amazing, and it gives us the ability to go through any circumstance with joy. And a, a few months ago, I preached a message entitled Unconditional Joy, that God gives us joy in every circumstance. And that, that applies, again, to every hard time we go through, through every trial, every good time, every blessing, God will give us joy through every situation. Not always happiness, but internal satisfaction in knowing, in knowing what God is doing. And again, Paul also says that we will receive joyfulness in what we do. And so as, we, as our time ends this morning, or this evening, excuse me, let's look finally at, we're fine to live with thankfulness. You know, God has given us knowledge of his will. And we're to walk worthy based on a knowledge of his word. And he's given us the power to do so. And this really ultimately results in thanks and thankfulness. Verses 12 and 13 say, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. In verse 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And here Paul really concludes this thought here to say we have a lot to be thankful for but it culminates in salvation what more do we have to be thankful for than the fact that Jesus Christ came to earth and he died for us he sent his son to pay for our sins that we can have a relationship with him that his spirit can indwell us that we can live a life that is glorifying to him and here Paul really gives a summation of really the main aspects of salvation, we see redemption here. We see justification that God has forgiven us of our sins. That he is not only, that he, is, he has seen our sins and his, when his son died for us and we trusted in Christ, the punishment for sin was now wiped away. That we never have to worry about really the, that power of sin anymore. And then he also has given us a, a present deliverance from the everyday power of sin. We talked about God's power, but sin and darkness also has a power on this world. God's power is greater, and it delivered us from the power of darkness, that we can grow in our relationship with God, that we can fight off the evil darts of Satan as they attack us with different temptations and sin, that we can look forward to. And this body will, will shut off the old flesh and we'll see if we will receive a glorified body. A body that is free of sin in the presence of our Savior. And that we will no longer have to strive to walk godly. To walk worthy. But we can live with the inheritance that God has given us. And God has blessed us abundantly and richly and he has given us everything that we need to walk through this life and, give, and live a, glorif a glorifying life to God. And so the question is, filled with the knowledge of God, are you applying it to your life? And really, are you allowing God's power to indwell your life? Are you living not in your own strength, but the strength that God has given you? And then finally, are you, are you living with thankfulness? Because again, God has given us an abundance of blessing. Are we living with that attitude? Let's pray this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that you've given to us.
or the power you've given to us to walk according to, your, to it. Lord, help us to live every day in an honoring and glorifying way and let us walk away again closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.